if you get a job as a nutritionist in a feed company, your first job probably will be that you'll be told to update the feed ingredient database because all companies are behind on that and they struggle to keep it updated. So when they hire a new nutritionist, they tell them, go and, go and get that fixed. Because deep inside, they, they do know that they are not uh, upda updated the way they should be. But for some reason, that turns out to be very difficult. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Gestal. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system, designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat level understanding. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Hello everyone. Today we have Dr. Hans Stein from the University of Illinois and he's going to chat about the biggest mistake he sees in swine nutrition today. How are you Dr. Stein? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Lots of grad students there. How many grad students do you have today? Oh, we have nine right now. Very nice. And the team, yeah. Keep you busy. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, we are. That keeps us busy. <laughs> Very cool. Dr. Stein, the first thing I would like to ask the, the guests is uh, if you can share about your career, how you got involved in, swine in, in the swine industry. A lot of people know you around the globe, and, uh, but it's always good to get the, the inside view there from, from the beginning. Well, yeah, I, uh, I grew up in, on a little farm in, uh, in a rural part of Denmark, and I uh, have basically been involved with pig production as far back as I remember. Mm. Um, so uh, we had a few pigs there on the farm. And after that, I, when I was done with uh, high school, I worked on different uh, farms uh, for a few years. I, at that time, I thought I would be a farmer. So uh, I wanted to uh, get some knowledge about uh, farming and swine production. And I worked on different farms. And... Uh, for whatever reason, I instead of buying a farm, I ended up going to college instead and uh, thought maybe I should get myself an animal science degree before I bought my farm. And mm -hmm. I ended up getting a master's degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I felt I had learned so much during the, those times at the university. So I thought I, may, I need to go out and use some of this knowledge uh, in 
one in a, a different way. So I got a job in a feed company and started working there. And I always thought I would go back and buy a farm at some point. But then in the feed company, I realized that um, there was a lot of stuff to be learned about fee feed manufacturing and feed ingredients. And how I, I realized how important feed ingredients are for both for feed companies and also for producers. And uh, so I decided I, I need to learn more about that. So that led me to the University of Illinois, where I uh, became a graduate student. To, and I came here to get my PhD. And uh, then I got my PhD. And uh, then I learned that the, it's interesting not only to formulate diets, but also to do research with, that, uh, with those diets. So uh, instead of... Going back to the feed industry, as I thought I would, and instead of buying a farm, which I thought I would, I ended up uh, pursuing a career in academia instead. And uh, so I have been a professor here for about 20 years now. Wow. And so uh, so you can say uh, to some degree it's uh, I have failed in my in in my uh, accomplishments because I never got the farm I thought I would have and I never went back in the feed industry as I thought I would do but um, I have enjoyed those uh, those years here in uh, as a professor in uh, in swine nutrition so I'm very happy with that very nice yeah I'm, well you've you've helped a lot of farms around the globe so that's that that's still counts on my opinion yeah you know, uh, you've you've worked a lot. You've you've worked with in the Philippines. Uh, what what other Denmark, right? What other places yeah. do you work? Well, I mean, we. I obviously I've traveled a lot. I have visited, uh, I think, uh, almost seventy five different countries around oh, wow. the world. Wow. So that that's one of the the advantages of being in the profession in the swine <laughs> industry that uh, you can get a chance to see the world and to uh, see a lot of different people, a lot of different. Uh, countries and I have enjoyed that uh, uh, very much and so uh, yeah I, I do travel a lot and uh, and I have uh, very good contacts with universities and companies in many many different countries so uh, so that's an added benefit I guess very nice very good uh, dr. Stein uh, to the topic of our conversation here today um, what is the biggest uh, mistake you see in soy nutrition yeah I uh, I think I have to stay with what I said before, uh, knowing about feed ingredients and uh, um, how to correctly evaluate feed ingredients. I think that's extremely important. And uh, one of the things I have noticed in feed companies, and that's all over the world, is every feed company struggle to keep their feed database updated and current. Mm. And uh, I always tell my students that uh, if you get a job as a nutritionist in a feed company, your first job probably will be that you'll be told to update the feed in ingredient database because all companies are behind on that and they struggle to keep it updated. So when they hire a new nutritionist, they tell them, go and, go and get that fixed. Because deep inside, they, they do know that they are not uh, upda updated the way they should be. But for some reason, that turns out to be very difficult. And the reason it's important to me is I think you can uh, save a lot of money if you have the right evaluation of your feed ingredients. But you can also waste a lot of money if you don't have the right evaluation of the feed ingredients. So it is important to keep it up, keep updating uh, the, the ingredient database. And it's not like 
you update it and then sí. we have it uh, forever. It's a dynamic field and you have to keep updating it all the time. But the good thing is today we do have analytical methods that are fast and relatively inexpensive. So it is possible to keep uh, that database uh, dynamic and, and, and maintain it uh, all the time. And uh, But I think there are too few uh, companies who really focus on that. And also, if you look at large producers, uh, maybe uh, they even have a, a more difficult time keeping the, the, the database updated. And uh, I think they uh, they are losing money by not doing that. Uh, so I think, to me, that is the biggest mistake that I see in the industry. Uh, and that's across uh, uh, all companies and it's uh, throughout the world. It's a, a general problem. Very interesting. Um, so I have a few follow-up questions on that, on that, Dr. Stein. One is, okay, let's see if you started tomorrow on a, on a feed company or, or even as a production nutritionist in, in a producer. So can you walk me through those, some of those first milestones or, or, or big areas that you, you would go? What, what would be those first few steps? Well, I mean, you will take samples of your feed ingredients as they come in and get them analyzed and at least get them analyzed for um, the major uh, nutrients, uh, amino acids and phosphorus and, uh, and, and uh, calcium for sure also, right. uh, and, um, and, and, and uh, energy and so forth, and make sure that uh, the ingredients contain what you think they contain. And you need to have some kind of system where you say if, the, if they deviate from what we what we have in our database if our actual ingredient deviate by this many percentage then we have to update and we reformulate and i think that's uh, that's the important uh, uh, part of that business and it is a, a full-time job to, to keep it updated but there's a, a lot of money to be made in that uh, area and just one example uh, he even though uh, I'm here in the middle of Illinois in on the best soil uh, we have in the United States. So we have soybeans here grown all the time. We struggle to get soybean meal with 48% crude protein. Mm. And until a few years ago, that was a given. We had 47 48% crude protein in all our soybean meal. Now we really struggle to, to get that. And that doesn't mean soybean meal is a bad ingredient. It just means we need to, to update our our expectations and our right. uh, database based on that. And, uh, and of course, if you go into co-products, uh, then the variability is much greater and that becomes even more important that we keep everything updated. Very nice. Uh, what is your experience or, or thoughts on um, uh, NIR, uh, especially the that inline, I think they call, right? So any, any success stories on that one? Well, I think, yeah, I think the inline NIR, that will be the future, uh, I think. But I think where we struggle today is to have good matrices that relate crude protein to amino acids, as one example, because the NIR typically only measures the crude protein and not, not the amino acids. And for many ingredients, there's not a linear relationship between crude protein and, and, and amino acids. Uh, so I think the systems uh, that are mostly used today uh, with NIR, they uh, simply regulate all the amino acids 
as the crude protein uh, changes. And that may not always be be uh, the most accurate way to do it. So I think we need more information in terms of being able to um, adjust amino acids in a nonlinear way when crude protein changes. That makes sense. So that is one example. That is one example. Very good. That makes sense. You know, uh, we had also Wayne Cast. Uh, I think it was our second episode about nutrient loading. So that makes total sense, Doctor Stein. What? Um, what are the things, if we transition out here of that biggest mistake that you mentioned that makes sense, what other mistakes you see that, that nutritionists uh, need to keep an eye, eye out? Well, I don't know if this is a mistake or not, but I think it's something to focus on as we uh, clearly throughout the world are moving away from use of antibiotics and many other things. In particular, for weanling pigs, we may to maybe rethink how we uh, formulate diets there in particular how much uh, protein we have in the uh, in the diets for our newly weaned pigs um, i think maybe we get too much hung up on we need to meet the amino acid requirement to the second decimal point hmm. and uh, and sometimes that means we we produce uh, diets for those weaning pigs with 22 23% uh, protein and uh, if we don't have antibiotics we may not be able to to handle all that proteins in the diet because the pigs will get diarrhea from that. So I think uh, being able to reduce the crude protein and maybe sometimes accept that we cannot uh, meet the uh, the amino acid requirements there the first couple of weeks after weaning, that is okay. As long as we can keep the pigs healthy and we don't they don't get diarrhea, then they will catch up later on. And if we're only talking about one to two weeks after weaning, there will be we need those low-protein diets. But I think that's really an area that deserves more uh, attention and where we uh, really should have a maximum on on, on protein and not only a minimum on amino acids. So I think that's a very important area also that... uh, that I think uh, we uh, could benefit from from focusing more on. Yeah, that's very interesting that you bring up because uh, I agree. I mean, that first diet and, and second diet, um, sometimes, you know, if you look at the requirement tables, it might say, you know, 1.46% acid lysine or even 1.5%. Sometimes we see higher numbers like that. Um, but that's the first diet. That number is not as important as the pigs being able to eat that diet and be able to just uh, uh, transition uh, well, right? That's super interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's our thinking, that uh, as long as we can keep the pigs healthy, and uh, then uh, it's okay that we don't necessarily meet the, the requirement. And if we go, have to go down to 18% crude protein, 17.5% crude protein, and we we have to be a little bit bit below the, the amino acid requirements. That's okay if we can prevent the pigs from getting getting uh, diarrhea during that, that time. So we have done quite a bit of research in that area, and we have quite a bit of numbers on that. And uh, usually when we get out of the nursery, they, um, they have caught up. After five weeks, six weeks, they caught up, but we have lower mortality, and uh, and therefore we get more pigs by by using that strategy. So so that's why we recommend that. That makes sense. Uh, do you have? Uh, I think you mentioned some percentage. Do you have a recommendation for the first diet and second diet? Uh, crude protein recommendation maximum? Well, it's uh, it is individual from farm to farm, but uh, 
typically not more than 18, sometimes 17% uh, is necessary. And I've seen some places in Europe where they have a lot more experience with not feeding antibiotics for many more years. Some uh, I've seen diets uh, uh, down to 16% crude protein there where they uh, uh, just get the protein down the first two weeks and then get the pig started uh, without diarrhea and then they uh, increase the protein after that and, uh, and, and focus on the amino acids after that. And that seems to work in many cases. So uh, probably some, somewhere between 16 and 18% depending on the farm. Very good. As you transition closer to the end here, Dr. Stein, a little different question is uh, if, you know, if you could change one thing uh, today on how graduate students are trained uh, around the globe. Uh, you train a lot of grad students uh, very successfully. What what would be your thoughts there? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, we have our, uh, our system in my team and uh, we want the students to have a very uh, good understanding of the basics of nutrition, meaning they have they need to have a good biochemistry background and understand biochemical nutrition and how all the nutrients work in the body. And I think we are doing a decent job of that. Um, and uh, I think our students are well trained in, in that regard. However, if I had to change something and something I struggle with all the time is to uh, make sure students, they also have a practical application and a practical appreciation for the feed industry and for the for the pork industry in general and i think that becomes more and more important as a greater proportion of our students come from a non-livestock background mm -hmm. and uh, may not necessarily have the same appreciation for what is it to um, work on a farm what is it to work in a feed company and so forth so I think if I had to change something, I would probably uh, try to find a way to focus more on those things and make sure uh, students have that uh, little bit practical knowledge of what is it to work in a feed company, what is it, is it you will be asked to do, and uh, what is it to work on a farm, what will you be doing if you are a nutritionist for an integrator and so forth. And I think, at least and I only talk for my own program, but I always feel we are falling short, a little bit short on that. We try to take the students on field trips. We invite outside company uh, personnel to give talks, but I always feel that uh, we should be doing more in, in 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 that area. So that's probably the one thing that I feel we need to change the most. Interesting. Yeah, it's always that fine line, right, between getting enough practical experience and also spending time learning the the basic is, basics makes sense makes sense exactly yeah very good dr stein um anything else before we move to the three questions that we ask every guest every episode no i think uh, we have touched on uh, on the things that i'm passionate about which of course is uh, nutrition and, and specifically feed ingredient evaluation and uh, and nutrient utilization by pigs and i think we've talked about those things and i think those are, are very important issues very good. Yeah, it's super cool that you have you have your own niche there in soy nutrition. And every time we think about nutrient loadings, we definitely think of you. So <laughs> that's great. It is time to our famous three. 
NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by servitude and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operation. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. What's your favorite pig-related book or, or resource? Well, that I have to say that is the NRC uh, 2012 book mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I uh, and I'm, I'm obviously very biased because I was <laughs> part of the, the NRC committee and uh, and I'm very proud of the product that came out of it. Um, and I'm I've had a chance to um, travel quite a bit around the world to talk about that experience, and I'm absolutely amazed how influential that publication is. Not only the, the, the swine NRC, but all the NRC publications, whether it's dairy or beef or poultry or horses, uh, they are used in many, many countries in the world, not so much in Europe, but in Asia, very, very much in Australia, Latin America, and so forth. So I think um, that is, to me, um, the best resource we have uh, uh, that in our C book. Not that everything is perfect in the book, but it gives everybody mm-hmm. a common starting point. Mm-hmm. And you, and when you say we fed at NRC or we fed 10% below NRC or 10% above NRC, then people know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, it is important. We have a, a kind of a, a common a common starting point when we when we have discussions. So, to me, that is uh, yeah, that is my favorite uh, uh, swine related book for sure. Yes, I like that a lot too. Um, I, I encourage you know. I remember the first year of grad school, I, I read all the chapters, and uh, and that was super good. I learned a lot on the just on the not only on the tables but also the chapters about different things. Yeah, we I uh, I usually buy uh, buy ten ten or ten of those NRC books at a time, and I I give a copy to every uh, new student that comes into my into my lab. So uh, they all get a copy of the NRC, and uh, and uh, we use it a lot in our team. That's cool. Let me. I guess I, I just want to follow up on that since it's a topic that I enjoy as well. Um, what on the NRC? What as you said, it's a great starting point. Some things are maybe are not perfect. Uh, maybe there's not enough data in one area or the other, but in your view, what is, I guess, two questions. One is, what is something that NRC is very, very good at that you don't think people appreciate as much? And then the second question is, what is one area that you think, hey, this is definitely one that we need to work for the next NRC? Yeah, those are difficult questions. Uh, <laughs> but what we uh, what NRC is, is good at, I think, is simply you take, you have 10 professors people from academia who uh, commit some time to sitting down and basically reviewing everything that we know about swine nutrition and trying to put that on paper. Mm -hmm. That is really uh, what the NRC is about. It's not about generating new data. It's simply to pulling together uh, what we know and and also pointing out what we don't know. And so uh, I uh, I think that is a strength because... On which other occasions do you have, do you get 10 or 12 people from academia to commit a significant amount of time over two years to simply work together to create, uh, that kind of a document? That, 
just doesn't doesn't happen very often. So I think that's the strength of the NRC, plus the fact, of course, that the information is unbiased. That uh, right. there's uh, uh, no there's there's no commercial interest there, and so it's it's simply uh, the best scientific knowledge that we have. So I think that's the strength of the NRC. Weaknesses, well, there are many, uh, not so much because of the NRC model, but simply because one thing that the NRC process does when we go through everything is it also uh, points out where we have gap in knowledge and where we have um, ha- have a need for more information. And one example, uh, just to mention that, that we learned that the, the last NRC was when we had to set uh, requirements for phosphorus. We had quite a bit of data. We had a lot of experiments and so forth um, that we could go off. But then when we came to calcium, there was basically nothing. Hmm. And so you'll see in the NRC uh, uh, text, it's written that one thing that we, we we didn't find was much information on the requirements for calcium, in particular for digestibility of calcium and how that influences the requirement. Uh, and that's an area that um, that needs to be done uh, more work in. And because of that, and it's a direct result of that work on NRC there that, that pointed out we need more work on calcium. We have spent a significant amount of time over the last seven, eight years uh, researching digestibility of calcium and uh, and also tried to come up with requirements for digestible calcium to pigs. And uh, there are many other areas uh, that are important that we don't know enough about. One other area that I think uh, we all know is important and we really struggle to to integrate is how an activated immune system of pigs impacts requirements for mm-hmm. all nutrients. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's extremely difficult to to uh, model or to uh, get a good handle on. And yet we know that almost all uh, commercial farms, they have diseases, they struggle with uh, chronic diseases, and uh, we we know that impacts requirements. So I think that's a huge area where we uh, mm-hmm. uh, really need a lot of uh, extra uh, efforts uh, in the future. That makes sense, and, and I see a lot of new research in that area, right? So that's great. Yeah. Very, yeah. very good. One comment I have before we go to the next question, one quick comment I have here uh, on the NRC is that when we went and we adjusted the Excel spreadsheet for the growth and, and all the details related to the today's pigs, the lysine requirement was spot on, and then the phosphorus requirement was also spot on for nursery and finishing pigs. So that's something I encourage everyone is to use that Excel spreadsheet, but also adjust the lean gain and other things for your pigs. Yeah, yeah. And we have found the same thing. As I said, we've done a lot of research on calcium and therefore also on phosphorus over the last many years. And we have found that if you don't overfeed calcium, then the phosphorus requirements, they are very active, very, very accurate. Uh, and, and so uh, I think that's, a, that's an important uh, thing also. Very nice. Very good. Next question, Dr. Stein, is what's your favorite book uh, in general outside of pig production? I really, really enjoy reading about history. And I, as, I, as I mentioned before, I enjoy traveling. Mm-hmm. And when I travel, I always try to understand the history of the country I go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you ever get a chance to come to my, my home, Marcio, you will see uh, a lot of books 
saying the history of Greece, the history of the Philippines, the history of Australia, um, the history of Thailand or whatever. And uh, I try to read those books either when, when I'm in the country or sometimes on the airplane on the way home uh, because I'm motivated or sometimes on the airplane back the next time I go to that country, I read that book. But I, it helps me appreciate um, why things are the way they are mm. in uh, in that country and uh, why uh, why is it that... You know, all of Latin America are Catholic countries, but there's only one Latin, uh, Catholic country in Asia. Why is that? Mm. Well, it, it, there's a very simple answer to that, and that's the Spanish, right? The Spanish mm. and the Portuguese conquered Latin America, mm. and they only conquered one country in, in Asia, and that's the Philippines, and that's why they are Catholics there. Mm-hmm. So things like that, uh, I, I enjoy learning that. Why is it that Japanese are different from the Chinese or the Vietnamese are different uh, from from the Thai people and so forth. Uh, and there are long hist- historic reasons for that. So uh, that's something I really, really enjoy uh, reading about. Very nice. Very good. That's super cool. What uh, Last one, Dr. Stein, is what do you think sets apart successful swine professionals from those who are not? <laughs> to me, that's pretty simple. Uh, successful Swine nutritionists are the ones who do all the things that deep inside they know are correct. Mm -hmm. It's not that they have more knowledge than others. It's not that they are more intelligent than others. It's simply that they are disciplined enough to do the things that they know are correct. If you start cutting corners, if you start not doing the things that you deep inside know you should be doing, Mm -hmm. that's when you start failing. And I think... I think that's uh, that's actually encouraging, and I always tell that to my students that uh, as long as you just do uh, all the things that you know is correct and is right, then you'll be successful. And uh, that means it's not only for a few people to be successful. It's not that you need to have some very, very unattainable skills to be successful. It's simply just follow the guidelines, follow the follow what we what we know. And that's that's how you become successful. So I think uh, that that's the number one thing that uh, that I think make, uh, sets people apart. Very good, very very profound. Uh, it's also the what you do when no one is watching, right? That uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, very good. Well. Uh, it's been a joy uh, chatting with you, Dr. Stein. One thing I want to tell to the audience before we go away is that you uh, you can go to uh, Google and just Google Dr. Hans Stein podcast is the Dr. Stein's lab uh, podcast is actually started in 2009. So it's 11 years old. So that's that's amazing. Uh, there's a lot of content there, uh, 136 episodes. So uh, that's that's enough for, for the lockdown i think dr stein yeah. yeah you're welcome to listen to to uh, all those uh, uh publications and we like to get our our research out and the more people that we reach the better it is we think so uh, we uh, we enjoy producing those podcasts we also have a monthly newsletter you're welcome to sign up for it's free and uh, and so uh, we really uh, encourage everybody to to uh, go to that very good. Uh, as always, great research there, Dr. Stein. Uh, once again, uh, really appreciate your time and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you for ha- having me, Matthew. Hey, everyone. 
Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks Web Conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics, and we even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our waitlist. We'll talk soon.